Welcome to the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series with Dr. Dave Chatterjee. Dr. Chatterjee is the author of Cybersecurity Readiness, a holistic and high-performance approach. He has been studying cybersecurity for over a decade, authored and edited scholarly papers, delivered talks, conducted webinars, consulted with companies, and served on a cybersecurity SWAT team with chief information security officers. Dr. Chatterjee is an associate professor of management information systems at the Terry College of Business, the University of Georgia, and visiting professor at Duke University's Pratt School of Engineering. Hello, everyone. I'm delighted to welcome you to this episode of the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series. Today, I'll be talking with Andy Bates, Chief Development and Strategic Partnership Officer at Global Cyber Alliance. Andy, welcome. It's great to have you as a guest on the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series. Thanks for making time to share your thoughts and perspectives with the listeners. How about we get started on a reflective note where you share with us um, what got you into cybersecurity? What's your story? Brilliant. Well, first of all, um, thanks for, for the opportunity and thanks for having me here. So it's uh, it's great to be with you and, and thanks everyone for listening in. Um, yeah, a great question. I guess I've been in telecoms um, all of my life. So I kind of started my career as an engineer and, and business development. So I found myself building secure networks. And I guess before the term cybersecurity was invented, I probably realized I was on, on the receiving end of cyber attack. So, so on the one hand, I think I'm, I'm kind of feeling the pain or felt the pain that I want the audience not to be feeling. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I kind of left the commercial sector and came to GCA as a, as a global not-for-profit, I guess, to, to fight back. And then the, then the other thing is, um, I'm a great one for asking the really annoying questions like, uh, like I guess, the average 10-year-old w- would do. So having built secure networks and been kind of part of building the internet, um, you know, the internet's as old as I am. It was born in 1969, I'm afraid to say. And, and you know, the first email, I think, was transmitted in, in 1972. So it's come a long way, <laughs> the internet, we've all come a long way. And I kind of look at things in the internet and think, surely we could make this safer. Uh, and as you and the listeners probably know, you know, the internet was originally designed for universities and academic institutes to communicate together. And it's a wholly different thing now. So yeah, I, I look at it at the internet as a networking engineer and go, we could, we could make this a lot safer. And um, just to kind of close out, you know, you turn on the water at home and you can drink water from the tap in most countries. Uh, but the internet is kind of dangerous. You have to buy a firewall. You have to be on your game. You have to train people. So ultimately, I'd love the internet to be just as safe as uh, as the water system, for, for want of a better word. And and I think we can get there. Maybe not in my lifetime and my career. But uh, yeah, that that's that's what gets me out of bed in the morning, I think. Fabulous. Yeah, you know, we all want uh, to be able to operate in a safer environment. Um, as you know, um, it's great to be digitized. Uh, we appreciate the convenience of electronic capabilities, but now we are also having to deal with the consequences yeah. of the good things that we have created. You know, the last time we were, we, were, we were chatting, you brought up a very interesting perspective on cyber that I don't often hear. You talked about reducing the carbon footprint. Why not look at cybersecurity investments from the standpoint of reducing carbon footprint? Can you expand on that? Yeah, yeah totally. And um, 
I mean, this is not new thinking, maybe, but when I've spoken to people about it, people go, actually, that's that's a new angle. And and I think the first thing to say is, you know, we in GCA and I were talking about this before the recent COP conference. So there's a there's a potential for saying that that we've jumped on the bandwagon and the zeitgeist here because everybody's talking about carbon. Um, but I guess first of all, you know, um, people watch TV dramas and detective programs about fighting what I would call physical crime. But nobody gets excited about cybercrime. Nobody gets excited about online fraud. As you say, we kind of get used to living with it for years. In fact, when I was at school, I remember people talking about climate crisis and, and maybe that was kind of quite advanced. And now that's become acknowledged and real and, and visceral and people get angry about carbon, but they don't get angry about cyber. Um, so I think that's the first thing to say that I think all of our lives in cyber would be easier if there was an emotional connection with the problem as there is with murder, robbery, et cetera. So, so yeah, we were looking for different angles to, to try and make cyber more interesting and more able to talk to. I want to be able to have a conversation with my mother about what I do at work. I'm convinced my mum thinks I'm a spy or, or run an IT department or, or those kind of things. So, so if we can put cyber into the, the modern parlance, which, you know, you talk about in your book, I think that's, um, that's an important factor. So with that, back to the kind of carbon discussion, Cybercrime and fraud on the planet, it's hard to get accurate figures, but generally it's accepted that the cost of, of cybercrime and fraud on online crime is around a trillion dollars a year. So imagine if there was a country out there whose GDP was a trillion dollars. That's more than the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. In fact, it's approximately the same as the GDP of Canada. So it is reasonable to say if there was a bad nation, a rogue nation on the planet generating so, or stealing so much money, it must have a carbon impact. Now, the natural conversation there goes that, well, cyber criminals are using computers, they use clouds, all of that contributes carbon. And I think that's, that's true. But if I take a country with the GDP of a trillion dollars, its carbon output is somewhere between 50 and 100 million tons of, of carbon. Now, there isn't a rogue nation that's occupied entirely by criminals. This is then obviously spread across the nations that exist today. So think of the good economy. The good economy has to generate another trillion dollars to make up for that trillion that has been stolen by the criminals. We can't say that can be carbon zero. Doing that replacement economic activity has to generate carbon. And arguably, there's a number of 50 million tons there. GCA ourselves, um, people, good people invested $25 million to keep GCA off so that we can go fight cybercrime. We think we've saved a little bit of research around a billion dollars of online uh, crime in the past five years. You roll that back using the same kind of formulas. We think that would be around 100,000 tons of carbon. So that's that's kind of quite a good conversation. So that's that was really the, the starting discussion. So, you know, some very vague maths there, but I think it the point is, as you say, opens up a a different conversation rather than just, hey, you should change your passwords, you should buy a firewall, you should train your staff, which I think a lot of people have been saying for some time. Not a lot of people have been listening, but but yeah, that's the starting point. Yeah, you know, that's probably a, a very good way of looking at the impact of cyber. It goes beyond what we generally quantify in terms of financial losses, um, losses to individuals, and they are all very valid, and we got to address those. But in the bigger scheme of things, how cybersecurity attacks are hurting the environment, whether it's attacks on the infrastructure, and then you, you gave it a different spin when you talked about, we are generating good carbon to deal with the bad carbon. Yeah, 
totally. I mean, just, and just to give you a bit of a, a COVID analogy, so without naming the names of any vaccine organisations, clearly generating a billion COVID, COVID vaccines is a good thing, but clearly that generates carbon. So there's a, a use of carbon that I think we'd all be happy with. So the inverse is clearly if we're allowing people to steal a trillion dollars, those people, A, generate carbon in the process, but I think more importantly, it's it's that theft that we created something in, if you like, the good economy, we've got to create another one to 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 catch up. And that's really the, the net contribution of carbon. So if I understand you correctly, when organizations are trying to justify investments in cybersecurity, and there are methods and measures, uh, this should be another dimension to their business case, correct? That, so, you know, go ahead. So, yeah, totally. Um, so, yeah, the risk of drawing an X, Y, and Z access. I think we can all understand reasonably how to monetize costs of cyber, uh, cyber defense. Monetizing the costs of the consequences are harder. There's obviously emotional um, and, if you like, human consequences. I think we, we heard of several people who committed suicide because of constant phishing emails and attacks. Clearly, those, those folks weren't in a great mental state to start with. But uh, yeah, if we roll the carbon conversation in as well, it gives another dimension to that business case. So to give you an example of a bank I was speaking to recently, obviously being safe is part of a bank's business. And again, as as you say in, in your book, that making cyber part of the cost to do business is important. So they've grasped that. And and banks, I think, get cyber. You know, they used to have safes to put money and gold in. Now they have the equivalent of online safes to keep themselves uh, safe. But if you asked what the bank's strategy was, number two in there is carbon reduction. So this particular IT T team had said they wanted to reduce their attack surface. Loads of firewalls, loads of pinholes into the environment, APIs, those kind of things. And being a bank, they had their own servers and their own processes doing that. They were struggling to find the case to remove that infrastructure, that legacy infrastructure, and move forward to arguably a more safe position. When they we had this conversation and it was just a you know two sentence chat from a webinar not dissimilar to this one i was doing and they said wait if we add up all the carbon that all of those servers are producing and our bank's number two thing in its strategy is carbon reduction suddenly we've got a different angle to drive that business case and frankly you know the what's i think called charismatic carbon so the uh, the more interesting ways of reducing carbon the carbon trading is at 50 pounds a ton for that more interesting version of carbon 50 pounds isn't a lot but and a ton of carbon does seem a lot but as i say if the gca it, we if we believe we would have saved a hundred thousand tons of carbon a 50 pounds a ton that's five million that's actually the cost to keep gca running on a per annum basis so you know everything counts in large amounts i think that was a that was one one of the rare test cases that i've worked on so far that allowed an organization to say this business case now makes more sense if i put the conversation of carbon in there and it was less about the money. It was more about the fact that the strategy that the CEO of that bank stands on stage with his shareholders and says, this year, we're going to do these three things. And thing number two was reduce our carbon output. And that's that drives shareholder value, that drives customer commitment, and all of that can ultimately be monetized. Absolutely. That's a great way of also showcasing that the organization is environmentally conscious, environmentally responsible. And that's always a great thing. Now, along those lines, Andy, uh, as you know, that uh, it is the small and the medium-sized enterprises who are always struggling for resources. And maybe this uh, carbon reduction impact argument that might help their case 
but still they could do with help. And I know that you are involved with the Global Cyber Alliance. So I thought this might be a good opportunity for you to share with the listeners what the organization does and how, uh, you know, how other organizations can benefit from their offerings. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, one of the fundamental principles of GCA is that we democratize cybersecurity. And by that, we mean that our belief is that everybody, whether an individual or a business has the rights and the access to good cyber defense. In other words, it's not just something that's the, the reserve of big businesses, rich people, clever people. And a bit like without overly quoting the, the current global pandemic, once everybody has access to good healthcare, then the whole planet's a lot safer. So it's, it's that kind of um, position. So GCA has two things. We have our capacity and resilience program. Today, that's very much focused on producing toolkits. So we, do, we produce free toolkits, which are available for businesses, soon to be for individuals, for journalists, and for election officials. So that helps people to protect freedom of speech, protect democracy, but also stay safe online. So, you know, the debate around a free thing, what value does it have? We nominally think the value of the toolkit is around $3,000, $3,000 per small business, clearly depending on, on how much of those things they use. So, so yeah, there's, there's a free resource. I think, you know, part of today's conversation is about business case, part is about carbon. Um, so I feel for the small business, you know, the, the local, uh, pub and chip shop in, in my in my village can't maybe afford high-end cyber defense. They certainly can't afford to employ a CISO. So some free solutions is a good way of starting that conversation and, and, and moving that chapter forward. I should say the other part of GCA, we have a thing called the, the IT program, Internet Integrity. They really uh, develop solutions, which, uh, as I said in my kind of personal introduction and, and check-in, help the internet itself to be safer. So we have a large IoT honeypot. We have a platform called Domain Trust. And we, uh, we co-created with IBM and PCH a platform called Quad9. So I guess to come back to the, uh, the carbon discussion, Quad9 is a protective DNS platform. So point your DNS to 9.9.9.9 and you will be safer. You will have another layer of defense. When we did some testing in uh, our pilot user base, which was a million users, today Quad9 protects around 250 million users. But we found out that your virus scanner, the load went down by 80, 80%. So that's great because clearly the thing is working. It's stopping inbound attacks happening. Uh, but again, just let's think of it on a, on a business angle. If I say to anybody in the street, would you like your computer to run faster? The answer is, of course, going to be yes. So if you get in 80% less viruses and spam and all kinds of nonsense coming from the internet into your computer, it's doing less. That's good because your computer runs faster, but maybe it uses less electricity. Yet to run some numbers around that. But again, I think that's a good way of... Uh, of making cyber a different conversation and a different business case. You know, let's face it, cyber's a bit geeky. <laughs> the word cyber probably wasn't known as an industry, as I said, about 10 years ago, whereas people do want their emails to be delivered better. People don't want things to go into junk folders. People do want their computers to run faster. People do want to pay a, a cheaper electricity bill. And if cyber can help them to get to all of those points, then it becomes more interesting and, and more engaging. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. In fact, the more I hear what you say about reducing the carbon footprint, I feel that that's the kind of pitch that's gonna go very well with the non-technical folks, with the business folks, the leadership, because everyone wants to do their share for the overall environment. We are, I would like to believe on an optimistic note that we are becoming 
environmentally more conscious. You, you've got and, it. And, and I think one of the things you say in, in your book, one of your key points is that cyber is a team sport. I'm not sure you quite say it like that, but cyber involves everybody. Carbon, yeah. by definition, involves everybody. We all breathe it out. We all breathe the atmosphere. We all live on the same planet. So unless you move to the moon, there's no way out of the carbon conversation. But the problem with cyber is it's kind of the job of the CISO. Like, hey, he's, he's, got, he's got cyber. I'll carry on doing the business. I'm the sales VP. I'm the operations VP. Cyber's in the corner over there. And, you know, we, we find this as the, as the Global Cyber Alliance. We get introduced to CISOs, whereas actually of the banks we work with, probably the CMO is the person we'd most like to talk to because we want to give free stuff to their customers, which makes them safer, which is a great marketing conversation. So, yeah, I think you, you've hit on it beautifully that you cannot check out the carbon conversation People do mentally check out of the cyber conversation because it's not cool. It's not interesting. It's a bit techy. It's not their specialism. So, so again, I think you're right. This is this is a way of joining the two things into the same sentence. And you know, along those lines, uh, and and I think you mentioned you've kind of mentioned that in our, one of our earlier conversations. You said, you know, can we turn cyber into a profit center or a strategic part of the business where we are we are approaching cybersecurity investments from the standpoint of reducing carbon footprint. And that is considered to be a good strategic objective that aligns with the other goals and missions of the organization. Can you expand on that? Yeah, totally. I mean, um, most people who are in the world of sales, the kind of trusted advisor sales conversation is the best place to be. So not everybody can do this. Not every company can do this. But asking your customer what their big concerns are about you as an organization or generally is a very powerful question. So rocking up to, to your biggest customer with your sales guy and your sales VP, but bringing the CISO and going, hey, I brought my CISO along. We want to have an open discussion about cyber. Everybody in the world of cyber, like you and me, is always talking about supply chain. Somehow supply chain is always thought of people who supply you. Whereas I, I want to call it a supply circle. Everybody supplies everybody with something. Nobody is at the top of the supply food chain. Nobody's at the bottom. The smallest company buys electricity, buys gas, buys insurance. The biggest bank, et cetera, buys things from those people. But the biggest company sells things to, to someone else, to small people. So everybody's a supplier. Everybody's therefore a buyer. And we always say the problem is in the supply chain. So I'll go and get my procurement department to go beat up on the supply chain to make them more cyber safe. If you make that the salesperson's job to go into your customers, that's a powerful thing because you're opening up a different conversation. Somebody who rocks up and says, hello, I've got some products under this price. That's, that's a very basic sales conversation. People would rather talk about how do I solve your problems, Mr. or Mrs. Customer. And cyber is a problem, yeah? So if your CISO has got an angle on helping to solve your customers' problems, it's a powerful conversation. And guess what? Their procurement person is probably about to beat up on you because they've gone to a cyber conference where we've all said the supply chain is where the problem is. So I think it just like, like the carbon thing, it opens up a different conversation, opening up different conversations, drive sales conversations. I, I maybe don't want to make cyber competitive advantage, but let's think of, of telco uh, for a second, You know, my, my kind of home stable. And I'll ask you this question if you, if you don't mind, Dave, and I appreciate you asking the questions, but would you pay 20, 10 or 20% more for your home internet provider if they assured you that it was 90% safer? Absolutely, I would. It's kind of no brainer question, isn't it? So, so straight away, so what's called in the telecom sector, the ARPU, average revenue per user per month. If you knew you were going to get less scams or just 
just get less phishing. I mean, I think isn't 30% of all emails, scam, phishing stuff. So you're just buying a rubbish product. You know, if, if I bought one of the popular fizzy drink brands and one in three cans of the fizzy drink that I won't mention has gone off or is faulty or leaks, I'd be super annoyed. But with the internet, I'm kind of, it's just how it is. It's back to my point about, about the water analogy. So telco is an easy way to look at that. You could probably charge more for massive firewall in the internet that just means you're safer. Now, I can hear lawyers on the call getting angst about this. Well, what about liability? What about blah, blah, blah. But again, my, my opener, and it comes back to the carbon conversation, is very much the internet. It's all about the problem is yours. It's never the industries. It's, and you know, your book beautifully touches on some of the points which people should do. My passionate belief is that they should do those things, but it shouldn't be the only line of defense. Somebody should be, be helping these folks. So I think that's that for telco is one example of how cyber can become a sales differentiator. But let's let's think of other things. You know, if um, I don't know if if the Wi-Fi in your local restaurant guarantees that you're going to be safer versus the coffee shop coffee shop across the road, and everything else is neutral, you're going to make an informed decision to go to the safer environment. So I think there are a whole load of conversations there where cyber can become more mainstream in the business. And again, you know, you said this this in the book that cyber needs to be everybody's thing. And I think these kind of conversations are a way of making it everybody's thing. Rather than saying everybody should do cyber, it means everybody shouldn't click on this link. Everybody should update their software. And that's good advice, but the kind of sales conversations allows people to embrace it a lot more. You know, it's, it's so true what you just said. Uh, often it's how you pitch things. Uh, you know, like somebody said that, you know, don't approach the cybersecurity conversation or the cybersecurity communication from the standpoint of um, getting people fearful about it. Approach it in a very positive way. You know, tell them what they could do and keep it simple. Have, you know, conversation should not be complicated. You know, uh, I'm a huge believer that despite the complexity of, of anything, there has to be a simple, easy way of getting the key messages across. You don't need to um, don't need to get the the recipient of the message to understand the intricate details. You know, give it to them at a level that they can relate to. Give it to them in a manner that really uh, uh, strikes a chord with them. And that that requires some deliberate thinking. Uh, you know, I have mentioned in the book that we can't afford this check the box approach. Yes, here are these requirements. We are meeting them. We are we've hired this particular vendor who's giving us the this training. We are following through with these kinds of communications. They are all good guidelines, but you have to personalize it. You have to customize it. You have to recognize the company culture. And you know this approach, the you know reducing the carbon footprint approach. This could be a way of changing the information security culture, making it a more integral part of the overall organizational culture. That's when I think organizations are likely to see greater benefits over a sustained period of time, as opposed to making it an information security function thing, as opposed to making it their problem. I'm in the business to grow revenue. It is somebody else's problem to deal with security. That kind of a, a myopic approach, um, a siloed approach, 
doesn't help anybody. And you put it beautifully. Uh, you know, we we are all we come from carbon, if I may. <laughs> yeah, and, good point. And and carbon connects us. And you know the the pandemic is emphasizing that that as much as we would like to do our own thing and like to operate independently and be profit centers and showcase how how much better we are than the others at a much deeper and at a much higher level, uh, you know, everybody's future is connected in a very deep way. And we have to recognize that and show the responsibility. So we help us by helping others. So that's the that's the approach, that's a mindset that needs to go into the cybersecurity con- conversation to prevent it from becoming a technical conversation, which results in people tuning it up, tuning off and it, saying, you know what, that's it, not my thing. Exactly. I mean, a couple of things to pick up from what you said, and, and I think I'm probably quoting Ian Levy from, from NCSC, but when you teach your kids to cross the road, you teach them to look left, look right, look left again, or the other way around if you're in the USA, you don't teach them how the internal combustion engine works or kinetic collision theory. But often the way you know people teach languages and the people teach sciences, you've got to, got to go with that. So exactly as you said, the, the information that's relevant to people is, is so important. And again, at the risk of quoting, I think it's Dale Carnegie who said, if you want somebody to be interested in you, it'll probably take two years. There's nothing better. The people really love people talking about them. So if you want somebody to be interested in you, you've got to talk to them about what they're interested in. Then it will take them two months to have, you know, the a, a conversation, a deeper conversation, I guess. So, so the point to that really is, if I draw a Venn diagram of people who are interested in cyber, and then a bigger Venn diagram of people who are interested in computers, and then a much bigger circle of people who are interested in carbon and the planet, by virtue of human survival, we're all nominally interested in carbon and the planet. So if that's just if we're just using carbon as a different way of introducing cyber into what other people are interested in, then it means more people will be interested in us, i.e. the cyber geeks, and therefore they do something about it. And there's loads of other subjects that people would, would be interested in. I mean, one of my, the main part of my job is finding the funding to run GCA. People will fund education, people will fund carbon, people fund veterans. People don't fund cyber because that's the job of police, surely, and that's why I pay my tax. So why the heck are you asking me for money? So again, back to the Dale Carnegie quote, if you're interested in other people, they become interested in you. Trying to force them to become interested in you is arguably takes 10 times the amount of time and effort. And in cyber, we just don't have that amount of time and effort just to throw around. So it's much better to find things people are interested in. And and carbon is a thing that almost everybody is becoming interested in or needs to become interested in. You know, this reminds me of a conversation I had with a senior executive when I started my, my career in corporate. Um, I was a management trainee in this major uh, British multinational. And um, as part of our training program, we had to meet with the company director. So when I walked into his office, uh, he of course asked me how I was doing, how I was liking the environment. And then he gave me some advice. And something that stayed with me was when he said, Dave, I'm not asking you to be committed to the organization, to be loyal to the organization. I'm asking you to be loyal to yourself, to be loyal to your family. And believe me, if you do that, you will be loyal to the organization. I never quite understood that then. 
but but when you use the Dale Carnegie example, you kind of made the same point that make it about the person, make it about their contribution to the world, you know, their uh, legacy. What is my legacy? My legacy is more than the job that I do. My legacy is how I contribute to make the world a better, a safer place. And this carbon reduction, carbon emission angle is a great way of getting there. And so I think, uh, um, you know, your approach to this subject on cyber is, uh, is a welcome approach. Uh, and I'd like to probe further about justifying cyber investments. Uh, you mentioned, you made a, you know, telling statement that nobody wants to fund cyber, but they want to fund a lot of other things. What uh, recommendations, what guidance would you like to give to listeners who are maybe who are, you know, pitching for money for cyber investments or organizations who are trying to get funding for uh, cyber investments? What guidance uh, would you give them? What recommendations do you have for them? I mean, great question. And to me, that falls into two questions. So I think there's the CISO in the corporate who wants to get more investment for the corporate. And then there's people like me in the not-for-profit world who are looking to foundations, grant funders, et cetera. So I guess uh, the the first part is probably most relevant to your uh, audience, your listeners. I mean, I think anybody who's making a pitch for money, stakeholder management is super important. And I've had lots of conversations and we've done talks on uh, how the CISOs engage with the board. So again, I think getting a board level sponsor who's not the IT director, who's not maybe the CFO is, is a good way forward. We've touched on it already, but uh, when I was, it feels like a million years ago now, when my job was a, as a chief engineer and I ran a design team, going out with the sales VP to talk to customers was powerful for them and powerful for us. We knew what the customers wanted to do. The sales VP loved bringing out somebody from a design department to go in and just be interested in them. So I think just to reiterate the point we made earlier that the CISO becoming friends with the sales VP and the sales VP is the one who drives the engine of growth of most commercial businesses, gets you an insider stakeholder there. Just meeting with the board and hoping that they're going to give you an infinite amount of money is, is crazy. And as you said, uh, anything that's put in common sense language for anybody so that all of the board can understand the conversation has to be the way forward. Having big geeky technical conversations about things is, is super difficult. And let's face it, you don't know if a cyber attack is going to happen. You don't know how much is going to be stolen. You don't know the consequences. You also don't know the carbon consequences of rebuilding something. But I would say that putting carbon in a business case and also putting the human consequences in a business case, so the below the line things, the bit that the CFO probably won't look at, I think those are powerful ways of grabbing people's attention. Most boards are going to review hundreds of business cases and loads of ideas, many of which they may seem crazy, along rocks the CISO. So you're, you, the CISO, one of those many people in that conversation. So anything you can do to make your business case relevant to everybody on the board, show that how you're driving business on the board, make it simple, but also make it stand out. And if carbon and the emotional effects of cyber are one of the ways of making people just stop on page three and go, wait, I'm going to read this again. This is this is grab my attention. Then then that would be my uh, my recommendation. And as I say, with the, with the bank we mentioned, who we shall not name, one of their key corporate strategies was carbon. Every company's declared what their one, two, and three corporate strategy things are. I'm doubting cyber's in there, unless they're a cyber organization, in which case it's probably, let, let's do more cyber, yeah? So 
finding out what those strategies are, mapping your business case to align with those things just makes makes complete common sense. Over in a not-for-profit world, um, yeah, if I was talking to a high net worth individual or talking to a foundation, they love education. They love uh, making sure that diversity um, is is respected and improved across all forms of diversity, whether gender, race, creed, neurodiversity are all super important. People care about those things. So again, uh, with one of our, our funders, he wasn't so interested in cyber, but he was interested in democracy, interested in freedom of speech. So we built a toolkit uh, with him, with his funding and support for journalists, because if a journalist gets hacked and they've got, let's say, 10 million followers, that's a lot of people who are going to be influenced in a in a big way. So again, that goes back to, again, the Dale Carnegie quote, this particular funder was interested in these things. I could have spent two years trying to get him interested in cyber, much better for us to be interested in democracy and interested in freedom of speech and then see how cyber fits into that. It's a bit like we said at the start of this call, you know, I'd love to make the internet as safe as the water industry, as safe as the electricity industry may be, but that's, that's going to take kind of quite a while. That's, that's my passion, but why would anybody be interested in the safety of water or the safety of electricity? It's kind of just there. So cyber is a utility. It's a kind of telco. It's an internet service. So it's not fun. It's not exciting. So you're much better to engage in what they're already excited about. And those things need the utilities of electricity, water, gas, cyber. We're just one of those things. And we therefore got to make it, make it relevant. True. So true. When I hear you talk about justifying cybersecurity investments at a more fundamental level, I'm reminded of some work I did with a company many years ago. The company was in the energy sector. They had this business case process in place where you had to justify a strategic investment over a certain dollar amount by linking it to at least one of their four value propositions. If you could not make a compelling argument on how the proposed initiative directly or indirectly impacted those value propositions, the chances of getting funding significantly diminished. As I reflect on our discussion, I believe carbon reduction should become one of the value propositions for every company. When reducing the carbon footprint becomes one of the key selection criteria the process automatically ensures that every initiative an organization pursues has a direct or indirect impact on reducing the carbon footprint. Yeah, so no, totally agree. And and I think you've got it in one, but to expand on it some more. So there's going to be two types of companies, aren't there? The type of company where one of its three big strategies is to reduce carbon. So it's a no-brainer, as you say. If a business case doesn't have that in there, why would anybody look at the, at the business case? It falls at the first gate. Therefore, if you're a CISO or you're pitching for some IT project that involves cyber or your cyber sales organization, you're dumb not to include that in there. If your company that you work for or you're selling to doesn't have cyber in its top three priorities, kind of surprised. But actually, back to the point, to make to make one of a hundred business cases jump off the page and jump out and grab somebody by the throat and go yeah i've got this emotional connection with with this thing why not put carbon in even if it's not monetizable so it doesn't add up to the uh dollars cents pounds and pence in the in the balance sheet that's in your business proposal if it's in the words that go and by the way a net benefit of this is dot 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 
I mean, in the UK, since uh, since the new year, I've seen two adverts on primetime TV for kind of pensions, investment things. And they say, put your money with us. And these are some of the things we are doing. And it's got brilliant pictures of people blowing up coal fired power stations, building solar panel things, etc. So people are starting to build this whole thing into their sales messaging to say, bring your money to me because I'm caring for the planet. So people are desperate to get these these messages in there. And the point of reality, you know, if I were talking to, to CFOs on the planet is the whole carbon trading industry, the whole carbon offset industry is is running out of road. You know, there's only a finite number of trees you can plant and the more trees you plant, okay, it solves the carbon problem today, but it probably moves the problem to our, our children and our grandchildren. Big data center providers now are looking at putting data providers under the ocean as a way of going, carbon neutral, carbon negative for their, for their cooling. So people are doing really big innovative thinking in terms of really big investments. I mean, putting a, a data center for one of the four big cloud providers under the ocean is a non-trivial conversation. It's kind of quite a hostile environment. So going back to one of my openers, cybercrime is a trillion dollar thing. If I go to the, if it were a country, it would be in the G20, if not in the G7. G20, G7, world leaders talk about these big things. Trillion dollar is an eye-watering amount of money. In fact, of the top tech companies on the planet, they've only recently burst through the trillion dollar valuation thing. They don't have the revenue of a trillion dollars. So anything that big economically in terms of you know global macroeconomic scale must have, must be a big conversation. So if people like the big data providers are having really big billion dollar conversations to reduce carbon, then surely the cyber angle, the cyber carbon angle must be a conversation that, that today we're missing. In other words, people need new ideas in this space and therefore are prepared to pay for those ideas or give people their intellectual capital, give people their time. Because yeah, you know, I, I go back to the point that although I'm in the cyber industry, we're both in the cyber industry, it's not that engaging. It can be a bit boring, <laughs> you know, saying change your passwords, buy a firewall, everybody should be engaged, we should all train our staff. Some of those things have been repeated quite a bit. Therefore, cyber needs a new conversation, but also the carbon reduction conversation needs new ideas because people are desperate. And and we've proved with the recent COP conference that people aren't doing enough to solve the carbon problem. So therefore, a trillion dollar industry, for want of a better word, there must be some solution in there. And I, I don't have all the answers. We're just at the start of this journey. I'm just at the start of this journey. We kicked about with some students, which uh, we worked with from NCSC in the UK over the summer. We just ran some numbers and we thought, hey, there's there's something in here. Absolutely. I think there's a lot in there and uh, we need to uh, change the conversation or reconfigure the conversation. But talking about reconfiguring the conversation, it brings back memories. And I've been a business school professor for over two decades and I've seen how uh, the business media, they are great at changing the labels to draw attention to certain phenomena. For instance, you probably have heard this business process reengineering was a huge buzzword for a long period of time. That has evolved to now what we call business process management. I teach, happen to teach a class in that area. Then um, e-business, e-commerce, even that, that area has gone through evolution from the standpoint of labeling, from the standpoint of uh, scoping the field, what it, what it entails, what it doesn't. 
So it, it helps to refresh the discussion, you know, come at it with a new pair of eyes or with a different kind of a mindset. And so I think I really like this approach of looking at cybersecurity investments, looking at the importance of securing the organization uh, from the standpoint of reducing carbon footprint. It gives it a bigger appeal. It makes it environmentally more conscious. So that conversation takes on a different tone and a hue, if I may. Um, well, as um, unfortunately all good things have to come to an end, uh, this episode is also coming to an end, but uh, I'd like to give you an opportunity to wrap this up with some final thoughts, with some summaries, whatever you want. Um, I mean, so again, thank, thanks for the time. Um, brilliant conversation. So really to say is it's early days. So, so this is a thought we've kind of had in 2021, 2022. So uh, hopefully we can report back and, and you can follow the GCA and, and see how things are going. I think for me, you've, you've hit on a good point there. I think the word cyber is probably 10 years old. So as you say, relabeling some things or rebooting, I think various films that were out 20 years ago just just been remade. So I'm not suggesting we call it Cyber 2.0, but but yes, when when the thing has existed for 10 years, we need to up the excitement, we need to up the engagement. And I think uh, one of the things you've talked about is a key message for the regular folks. And I don't think we have a, enough of those. So I think if there was one key message for the regular folks is that everybody is part of somebody's supply chain and cyber matters to everybody and if if we acknowledge that we're not everybody's not just a buyer of something they're also a seller of something and we can put cyber into the sales conversation that gets cyber more mainstream in the business which we all acknowledge it needs to be and the closing point to that is yeah as we said there's there's no escape room for carbon unless we all go to the moon or, or uh, one of the famous billionaires manages to, to build a rocket and completely leave the planet leaving a whole load of carbon behind as he does it um, we're kind of stuck on this planet and we all love it. So we're all in this together. And the more we can use that conversation to realize that we're actually all in it together with cyber and cyber is stealing a, a trillion from our planet's economy every year. Uh, tying those two together to get us emotionally connected with both of those problems has to be a good thing. So so hopefully that's been useful. But uh, again, we'll, we'll keep the conversation going uh, elsewhere and hopefully report back and, uh, and see how we can drive that forward. Well, thank you very much, Andy, for your time. This is truly a great conversation. Thank you. Thanks again. A special thanks to Andy Bates for his time and insights. If you like what you heard, please leave the podcast a rating and share it with your network. Also, subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. The information contained in this podcast is for general guidance only. The discussants assume no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained in this podcast is provided on an as-is basis, with no guarantee of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. The opinions and recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of the discussants and not of any organization.